The future of health coaching. Opportunity, action, impact. Brought to you by Teleosis Institute, coaching and narrative healing. Welcome to Teleosis Institute's Future of Health Coaching Vital Conversations. I'm Reggie Mara, Creative Director at Teleosis Institute, and on behalf of myself and Executive Director Joel Kreisberg, I'm happy to welcome our guest today, Jay Stearns, who will be speaking with us about embodied spirituality and the continuum of addiction. I've known Jay, and I've been privileged to know Jay for the better part of 16 years now. Um, we met at a, a Vision Quest alumni gathering down in Virginia back in 2000. And um, Jay has a, a really, I, I find, interesting background. He is um, a pastoral counselor. Um, he works as the Director of Spiritual Care at the Pathways Treatment Center for Addictions in Annapolis, Maryland. And he's a co-founder of the Creative Conversations organization that brought um, in the past, David White, Angelus Aaron, Dana Folds, and Mark Nepo to the Annapolis area. Um, because Jay loves exploring endless possibilities, and he really does, uh, for participating in relationships with nature, uh, Native American wisdom, and the traditions of nature-based spirituality, um, these have become his primary teachers in, I'll say recent years, but I would say probably for the better part of 20 or 30 years. So I'm really, really happy, and I'm looking forward to speaking with Jay today. So Jay, without any further ado, um, welcome. Thank you, Reggie, and thanks for the opportunity to have this time with you and this conversation. Yeah. Glad to be with you. Yeah, it's, it's good to have you. So um, what I usually do is just jump in uh, to the conversation with what's most interesting to me, and what I'd love to hear from you um, is you know not some textbook definition, but what it is that you mean when you use the phrase embodied spirituality. I, I just you know just unpack that in whatever way it makes sense to you. Okay, I want to say first that uh, somewhere along the way since we started our conversation, the language got changed from embodying spirituality to the embodiment of or embodiment spiritual embodied spirituality and i like that change because i don't see spirituality as something that just willy-nilly happens to us nor that we can just make happen like embodying it <laughs> um, one key word for me i guess reggie when i try to give voice to what spirituality means to me is the word incarnation. Now you mentioned that I'm a pastoral counselor with my background and that means among other things I do have some theological uh, language that I throw around now and then. But I'm using incarnation and in, in the way I think that it is understood in the broadest sense, the enfleshment of, uh, of our spirituality. Um, it means it's in the flesh. It, it walks and talks and thinks and feels and has impulses and responds. That's what I try to get at in my own discoveries and experiencing of spirituality, as well as in my work with others. So it's here and now and in the flesh, just like the word would suggest. Yeah, great. So, so if, I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, then the words incarnate or incarnated, um, embodied in the flesh, we're speaking about the same thing, that the spirituality is not something that's out there or up there, but in fact, it is in this flesh, blood, muscular, skeletal 
vehicle that we all walk around with. And if spirituality is going to have anything to do with our lives, it's going to, it's going to involve this vehicle. Yes. And one of the contributions, I think I would say that embodied spirituality uh, offers to us is that it challenges us to self-responsibility. As I said earlier, it, spirituality doesn't just visit some and not others. It, it's a part of the potential of the human condition to discover and dance with, and this is part of what's really important to me, the, the, the life which, be, which is beyond us. Call that what you will, the beyond. The, the, the life energy, life source that uh, is, is why we're here and how we're here. And spirituality in the sense of embodiment is the dance that I, and, and by the way, when I'm teaching, I often speak in the first person, not just to call your attention to Jay, but inviting these to be your own thoughts as you're thinking with me about this. So um, spirituality is, is offered as a dimension of life which I have not only the opportunity, but the responsibility to do a dance with. And so discovery is another, for me, another important aspect of the experiencing of the embodying of spirituality. Yeah, so no, thanks for that. So there's, there's probably, in what you just said, um, there's probably enough uh, texture and content for us to speak for about four hours so i have to just pick um what where to go next with what you just said so so i love that you spoke about spirituality as both not only but both why we're here and how we're here and the exploration of that can you can you speak a little bit more to um, the, the, the why and the how we're here as, uh, I don't know, if I, I wouldn't say examples of spirituality, but part of the essence of what um, we hold as spirituality? Well, Reggie, I've come to discover, and I do believe over the years, and interestingly enough, in my work as a pastoral counselor, my work with couples has been one of the real teaching vehicles for me, or discovery vehicles for me in this, and that is I've come to really be convinced that two aspects of the human condition are in some ways two sides of the same coin, and that is the need to know and to be known. The need to know and to be known. And for me, that's a perfect kind of hand-in-glove relationship with spirituality because um, spirituality is about relationship. There's another way we can talk about this. It's about relationship. It's about connection. It's about belonging and discovering that sense of belonging. And so the way in which I think, uh, and uh, the poet David White is one person I've heard break this down in an interesting way. It's about the being of longing. <laughs> if I be, I long for being known and knowing which are the two sides of that coin of existence. Okay, so, so to, um, the essence of relationship then, to, to both know and to be known, and I love that you, you offered us, and I'll see if I, if I remember these uh, correctly, um, you know, the relationship, 
connection and belonging as three, I don't know if we want to call them cornerstones. We'd have to build a triangle then. <laughs> but, but to have those three foundational elements, and again, those are my words, not yours. Um, can we tease apart the similarities between or the differences um, among relationship, connection, and belonging? And as I say that, I know you and I have touched on this in private conversations in the past, but how are those three um, concepts similar and how are they different in your, in your use of them? I got distracted a little bit because I had a, a fleeting thought when you talked about three. Uh, if you think about stools, the only stool that's guaranteed to be stable is a three-legged stool. Okay. Any more legs than that, you have to make sure they're exactly the same length and all kinds of things that are into it. So I think three is a pretty good number. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad, I'm glad that, that that fleeting thought came through. That's good. Yeah. That is theologically pretty sound, too, I think. <laughs> What was your question again? <laughs> um, so basically, you, you, you spoke to relationship, connection, and belonging. And I'm curious as to um, how those three words or and the concepts that the words hold are similar and how they might be teased apart because you didn't just name three synonyms. You, you were speaking about three different aspects of this idea of embodied spirituality. And, and, and uh, we began with the word relationship and then we brought, you brought in uh, connection and belonging. So how, do, how can we differentiate those? Yeah, and that's a, I think that's a good and important question. Um, I think there's a kind of a sequential or developmental relationship as, as I use, understand and use those words. Uh, I'm not gonna be in connection with you the other, if I don't first extend into the risks involved in the beginning of the building of a relationship. So it's Martin Buber talks about the I thou, the I and the other. So relationship is a starting point. Now that doesn't guarantee that I'm going to have any significant kind of connection, but it opens the pathway to that. It's like the threshold. If I pass through that door, then I begin to take more risks because there's no way around that factor mm. in allowing myself to become vulnerable enough to begin to make a connection with you, the other. And that means I'm willing to discover. I'm willing to be quiet and listen as well as speak in my own way. So it's a dance. As I, live on into that experience of the dance with you, the other, the thou, what begins to happen is I realize, gosh, and I may not have a word for this originally, but intuitively and instinctively, I know somewhere inside me something is saying, yes, this is good. I like this. Let's keep going. And the way I've come to give language to that is to, to have a sense of belonging. I'm no longer alone. I belong and am part of a larger reality called life with a capital L. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I love the um, as you were unfolding those three words and 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 the concepts behind them. 
uh, you know, beyond even our human interactions, um, what was coming up for me as you spoke that was the, uh, you know, the connection with the natural world, how whether we, whether we like it or know it or not, we're always in connection with the natural Absolutely. world. Absolutely. Actually, we're in relationship with the natural world. Whether or not we intentionally connect is often up to us. Um, and then whether or not we can really grow into a deeper sense of belonging with and in, and in fact, as human beings, as um, the natural world. So, so that, that, thank you for unpacking those three. And, and the last thing you said, you know, that gradually as belonging begins to emerge or has the, the ripeness of connection to possibly emerge, you said you, you, you can often hear or feel a yes um, to the belonging. And that brings me back to um, Brother David Stendhal Rast, uh, who speaks about hope and faith and love. And his definition of love, and I'll, I'll, this could be a direct quote, but I think it's probably close to a paraphrase, is something like the joyful acceptance of belonging is how he defines it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so I mean, so, so thank you for unpacking those three in this movement of relationship with, then the possibility of connection with, and then um, belonging tends to be, and I would, I'm going to project this, tell me if I'm mistaken, is really an intentional move then to belong. Yes, and uh, uh, you're sharing that quote from uh, David, uh, bring something, I've already alluded to it in a sense, but something I think is important to name as such, and that is we're really talking about intimacy hmm. and taking the risks of beginning to open myself to that possibility of an emerging sense of intimacy with you, the other. And that's, that can become highly charged because there's great risk in that. You know that as well as I. Um, a companion to what I'm saying right now is vulnerability. So forget about uh, pursuing this wonderful idea of embodied spirituality if I'm not willing to, at some point, begin the process of opening myself to the risks of intimacy. And of course, that's a risk that begins in my relationship with myself. Because I believe that's the starting point for any embodiment of spirituality. Where am I in relation to Jay, to put it in the first person? And that can... Uh, Take some both risky and rich exploration. Yeah, both risky and and rich, and yet yeah, yes, yeah, so potentially risk, rich. Yeah. Yeah. Who am I really, and how how willing am I to look um, as at myself uh, as intimately as possible with all of my blessings and all of my blemishes, and be okay with all of that? And that's definitely risky for sure. Yeah. You remind me of an experience I had some years ago when I was facilitating an outpatient group at Pathways. You mentioned the Drug and Alcohol Treatment Center where I, where I work part-time. And uh, it was a fairly large group, and I thought it'd be good to break these folks up and have more opportunity for more to have conversation at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so we broke up into groups of three, and I said, now each of you talk with the other two in your group and come up with two or three really vital questions emerge for you 
as you reflect on your own journey in recovery, wherever you are right now. And they spent about 10 or 15 minutes and some good conversation as I eavesdropped around. And then we got back together and I asked them to share their questions. And I went to a large marker board in the room and just started writing uh, code words about many of the questions. And each time a question would be repeated, I would just put a check mark in front of the already mentioned question. Reggie, the second question wasn't even close. The question that people were really asking and voicing was the question, who am I? Mm. Who am I? That's where relationship begins. And that's where embodiment of spirituality begins within the self, including my own body. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Ben, thanks for for sharing that, that anecdote. Um, And it, you know, in one way, in hindsight, after enough years of trials and tribulations and, and uh, you know, missteps and, and good steps, the, the idea that, in fact, how, how can I be in an intimate relationship with another if, if I'm not already in that with myself? Because, uh, you know, that seems, I don't want to say obvious, but it seems like such, such an important idea yes. Yes. That, wasn't, that wasn't anywhere near obvious in my 20s and 30s. Right. And it's like, uh, I love the expression, visiting something again for the first time. Yeah. You know, you can hear me say what I just did about beginning with moi. And you say, well, of course, and it is. But there's a way in which the hope is, I'll put it in the first person, I hear it again. It's not new. But for the first time, there's a freshness and a possibility of drilling down deeper with it, or however I want to put that language. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm just going to contextualize what we've been speaking about so far and put it in the context of a coaching relationship just um, well to just just to do that uh, when we're speaking about intimacy we're not necessarily or only speaking about you know the the intimacy between two people in a significant other relationship but it's any relationship whether it's coach and client doctor and patient attorney and client um, the level at which we're able to touch into um, this appropriate intimacy for the nature of the relationship. Obviously, a husband and wife will have a different type of, of intimacy than a coach and a client. Um, but the more able each of us is to tap into that, the richer and the more fruitful and even to use the word effective um, a relationship can be so. So this, uh, I really appreciate how you're unfolding this idea of embodying spirituality in the context of who am I? You know, who truly am I, yeah. and how and why do I even exist? Yeah. Well, um, you're asking a question about maybe looking at this through the lens of coaching and. I'm certainly glad to do that with you. You made a statement there that I want to just go back and pick up on. And I understand what you meant by that. And in the context in which you're speaking, I would probably agree with you. However, I could also challenge a making a sharp distinction between the, quote, significant other relationship in my life mm-hmm. and then some other implied maybe lower <laughs> levels of relationships. And offer the suggestion that, and I think this is certainly very relevant to coaching as it, I, I came to discover this 
as I allowed my clients to, my, to become my teachers through the years in many ways, that um, opening myself to a larger and deeper level of the significance of that relationship and the person I'm with in that moment is really part of the gift of the embodying of spirituality and the access to a, a vehicle for communicating that possibility of experiencing a spirituality with the other, whether it be a client in the pastoral counseling setting, you and I as we talk, a patient at Pathways, wherever I want to turn, to, to allow myself in a broader sense to be open to the possibility, ah, in this moment in my life, here, now, this is you, the other, are the significant other. Mm. Now, that's not diminishing what I understand you to mean in the way in which you're using that phrase, in which it's normally used. But it, it brings up something that, um, um, well, the, the, one of my primary teachers of the years, uh, a woman named Angela's Arian, uh, Angela's used to talk a lot about the importance of presence, mm -hmm. and she would also talk about paying attention. And I, I was in a seminar with her one time, and she was beating those two drums. And by the way, she was a shaman-type person, so she beat drums a lot. And I heard presence, I heard attention, and it just kind of blurted out. I said, well, it sounds like we're talking about attentive presence. And Angela's kind of smiled, and she said, that's what we're talking about, yes. And so that, that idea of, thanks to Angela's Arian in, in, in this case, opening myself to the possibility, the responsibility, the opportunity, on and on, for being in attentive presence with you, the other, I think is part of the gift. Because again, as I said, it's in that kind of context and milieu, if you will, that I begin to allow myself and the other to discover the meaning of embodying this spirituality. And by the way, we haven't talked a lot yet about what we really mean by spirituality. We can get to that too, if you want. So that, but I offer that as a, sort of just embellishing what you were saying. Yeah. No, what coaching is about, I'm sure. Yeah. No, and I, I appreciate that. That, in fact, that I mean, that was my intention, and you just really clarified it because I would say that the relationships, other than that more traditional, you know, sig what we you know tend to mean by significant other, that one other person that we're you know spending perhaps our life with or a lot of our time with, that those other relationships aren't necessarily lower than they're just other than or different from. Um, but I agree. Any one of those, and you know, if we can be in attentive presence in any of those, um, that's that's a perfect place and opportunity to. Um, I don't even want to say practice embodied spirituality, but I'll. I'll say that. Awesome that there because I think developing practice is really, really critically important. Yeah. And 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 by the way, in my work at Pathways. And I, I've alluded to that several times, and I probably will some more before we're finished. Uh, uh, but we talk about how the journey of recovery involves the development of new practices, yeah. developing a new norm. We all, well, I'll, I'll stop there. I think the point is pretty self-evident. So, yeah. I like 
Yeah, no, and I, I thrive in practice. I mean, that's, I mean, part of my own coaching methodology, not mine, but the one that I, that I use from Integral Coaching Canada, um, relies on, on the structuring of uh, very, very focused practices to develop both awareness and some behavioral change in the client. Yeah. So, yeah, so pra- practice is our friend for sure. Yeah. By the way, it just reminded me of something else. And in this moment, I'm forgetting the author's name, but there's a little book, one word title, Mastery. Are you familiar with it? Okay, it might be uh, George Leonard. I, I might be right. Yeah. Anyway, Mastery. I really appreciated when I read that little book, what I heard the author saying to be the real essence of mastery, which is not so much the output of my deepest and highest reaches for new levels of attainment and so forth. But in the journey with the highs and lows, the peaks and the valleys, we inevitably are going to arrive on those plateaus. And what I recall from the little book, Mastery, is the author is a proponent of the idea that where we really cultivate and develop our mastery is on the plateaus. Okay. And what reminded me of that just now is that's where we practice develop the practice, the sustainability of this viable, which is another word I use a lot with spirituality, this viable spirituality, developing new practices. Yeah, no, I love that. Because I'm thinking of um, my experience with, with the word mastery, and it's not identical, but in, in my, when I, and maybe we're not speaking about the same author, but uh, there was a, a one sentence I remember from, from reading Leonard, and uh, it was, um, at its most simple, mastery is staying on the path. Ah, ooh. So, so those, like two, those two are not identical, but they're definitely complementary as we, as we share. I just we're talking about the same book. Yeah. And that sounds very congruent with, yeah. with what the author said, yeah. So, so we've, we've spoken about the prospect of really unpacking what we mean by spirituality, which, you know, if we have... Uh, yeah, that could be a several month long conversation. Right. Um, but, but what I'd like to do, if this is okay with you, is is move into um, kind of the the subtitle, not really the subtitle, but the second part of our conversation title, which is the continuum of addiction within the context of how we've spoken about embodied or embodying spirituality, and then. Um, because I, I think that's really um, essential to what we're we're speaking about here, and, and it came from a conversation you and I had some months ago, um, uh, when you mentioned that phrase, the continuum of addiction, and it triggered something in me, and we had a, a really, I thought, fruitful conversation about it. And then as we unpack that, you know, as when we get to a point where we begin bringing the conversation to a close, <laughs> we, we can take a couple of minutes and define spirituality. That's a, kind of a joke. But we can, you know, we can, we can at least speak to what each of us means when we say that. But I'd love to begin to uncover now, at some level, um, the idea of a continuum of addiction um, in whatever uh, entry point you would like to take. Okay. I, I believe that the capacity and the potential for addiction, just like for spirituality, is part of what I call the human 
condition. We don't have a choice about or not having that capacity and potential. The question is, what form and expression is it going to take? Um, addiction, I'm just going to throw out a few thoughts that come to me as I'm, as I'm thinking out loud here with you. Yeah. Along with being part of the human condition, at least in our potential for it, a few things that I would say about addiction, regardless of the substance, if you will, and that's where the link is made. Uh, we think of it most acutely in terms of substance abuse. But even there, we put a rather narrow definition on what we mean by substance. Uh, I think that the essence of addiction involves a number of things, and I'm sure this is not an exclusive list, but it involves, for example, the pull toward impulses, which will hinder my life, my growth, my creativity. If I'm drawn toward those impulses, because that's, that's not my nature as an alive being to shut down on life and growth and creativity. Those are all also parts of my human condition. I think another aspect of the way the continuum go, goes beyond, quote, substance abuse to kind of universal human experience is with the urge toward gratification. Hmm. Two of us don't have that, you know. And it, it, the sharper and more acutely the addictive process gets underway, the more likely we are to think of it and speak of it and experience it as the drive toward or the urge toward instant gratification. I want what I want when I want it. And, you know, familiar with that. Another, somewhat overlapping, but I'm going to make it a separate statement in the way in which the continuum of addiction covers all of one's human experience is that it may compromise the will to live. In whatever my own personal pattern of addiction is, that I begin wanting to avoid the responsibilities. And avoidance certainly is part of the name of the game, so to speak. So it may involve a compromise of my will to live, to want to do it the easier way. And I'm not saying any of this pejoratively because I'd first of all be judging myself if I were to do that. So let, let me try to pull it together this way. There's a, there's a distinction that I learned years ago that I find many different ways of bringing to the table in, in this kind of conversation. So I'll take any urge that I might name. Okay, this is an urge that for me, if I don't manage it, and I think management is another really important part of self-responsibility. But if I don't manage this urge, it may start managing me. Mm. And the way I put this in, in just, quote, simple uh, language is, do I have this urge or does this urge have me? Yeah. And then I can fill in the blank and name, 
whoever I am, what particular urge it is I'm speaking of, or what particular pull it is that I'm aware is starting to tug at me in a direction contrary to the impulses for life and growth and creativity. Do I have the urge, the impulse, or does that impulse, that urge, have me? Yeah. That's a good litmus test. I find it to be so anyway. So, so great. So, so that was, um, you, you put a lot on the table there, and which is, which is exactly what I asked you to do. So in terms of the continuum, um, with these desires, um, with these uh, impulses, with these uh, desires for gratification and or specifically instant gratification or immediate gratification, um, and recognizing to the best I can whether I have an urge or the urge in fact has me, um, what are some of the, I'm not even sure how this question is gonna come out. I know what I want to ask, but I don't have the exact question formulated yet. Um, in terms of a continuum, and I'm just going to, and please correct my example here. So at one end of a continuum, I imagine individuals whose lives have been drastically altered um, by addictions to narcotics or alcohol or behaviors that in fact disrupt their ability to to, to live more or less healthy lives, whatever more or less means. And at the f other end of this continuum, I imagine um, individuals who have some habitual behaviors and or desires that they indulge, but they're of a nature that in fact, nobody else can even tell they exist and they don't really interfere with a more or less functional, healthy life. And then there's a lot of gray area in the middle. Is that a fair look at the continuum of addiction? And if it's not, fine-tune that for, for me. Well, I, I, yeah, I would say it is. And um, in anticipating our conversation, I, I spent some, some time thinking about, I'll call them non-substance <laughs> abuses that we have. Don't take that too literally. Yeah, yeah. But for example, I think we can become on that continuum addicted to most any life practice or habit, many of which can be perfectly good and, and even health producing in their own way. But again, it may come down to the question, who has whom? <laughs> Do I have this practice or does it have me? I think attitudes, we, I think we can become addicted to attitudes and that can be counter to the direction of life and well-being and creativity. I think we can become addicted to certain values which in and of themselves may be fine, but who has whom? Addiction to feelings. And as you were speaking just now, I, I remembered the book I read years ago. I think the author is Miriam Woodman, the Jungian analyst, who wrote a book entitled Addiction to What? Perfection. Mm. That's the title for the book, Addiction to Perfection. And interestingly enough, that very title at least, I don't know if the book is in the bibliography of recovery, but that title is referred to not infrequently in conversations around recovery in, in the sense of recovery from substance, substance abuse. Where and how are my demons constellated in some 
drive in me to become perfect. Mm. Let's become complete, because that's a whole different reality. But the drive to become perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Does that help? Oh no, it definitely it definitely does. Um, so what I, where I want to begin to take this next then is so no, noticing this continuum and noticing um, what might be behind it, whether it's, again, whether it's a concrete substance, something we can drink or inject or take into our bodies in some way, whether, as you said, it's an attitude, a feeling, a habitual behavior. Um, what, and this, again, this is a big question and we're not going to be able to unpack it fully. Uh, so I'm going to assume that that the first step in any of these is awareness of my the concrete substance, the behavior, the attitude or the belief or the thought pattern. Once once I have this awareness, what are some and again, this is a big question. What, what are some pragmatic, useful, effective ways in the best meaning of all those words to begin to work with my addictions of which I'm now aware uh, so I can move into having them as opposed to being had by them? Wow, great question. First thought comes to me is the practice of careful attentiveness to myself, yeah. beginning right there. Um, I'm going to tell a quick story because it comes to mind now, and I think it speaks to what you're asking. Over the years, uh, and you mentioned where you and I first met was it was in an alumni gathering for people who have been on a vision quest, uh, which is spending time out alone in the wilderness, fasting. And um, I forget where I started to go with that, but it'll come back. Um, That's all right. Yeah, well, you, you were going to share a story. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah. And I realized in hindsight more than at the time that I decided to go on this vision quest some at that point still largely unrecognized parts of my own being specifically referring to uh, the importance of nature in my life it's always been true walking in the woods hiking camping out strolling on the beach i love being in nature and find nature to be one of my primary teachers um i was driving to pathways one day not well it's been quite a while ago now and i was driving over the severn river which is a beautiful river that goes through annapolis maryland and uh, it was early in the morning and i looked ahead of me traveling toward the west and here was the moon just not long before setting at the end of its journey through the night and almost simultaneously i saw my rearview mirror those last moments before the sun was going to break the horizon. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, wow. And sure enough, within a matter of, I, I say, seconds, the sun rose, the moon was still there, and then the moon set. Mm -hmm. And that was a powerful experience for me. But let me tell you where I want to go with that. That evening, I was doing one of these uh, IOP, as we call them, intensive outpatient uh, groups on spirituality. 
And for whatever reason, I wasn't sure. I, I shared that experience. We're talking about nature and spirituality and so forth. And uh, a gentleman, we'll call him Andy, began really stirring in his seat. And I'd remembered Andy as an inpatient who had then uh, done that period of his work in recovery and was serious about it, had gone into the outpatient program, had been there a very short time. And uh, Andy spoke up and he said, I got to share something with you all. He said, now, you know, I'm not religious. I'm not a religious person. Never had. And that was really important for him to clarify. I'm not religious. But he said, I, I got to tell you that what JJ shared about the sun and the moon reminds me of an experience I had that is like it was yesterday. He said, um, about two years ago, my mother died. I was too drunk to go to the funeral. And his voice began to quake a bit. But he said, that's not my deepest grief. And went on to tell us that what really tore at his heart was that his mother did not live to see him, her son, at this moment in his life, having finally, for his own reasons, reached the point of making that choice to enter treatment as an inpatient and then follow that up with outpatient service. And he said, when I was finishing my inpatient work, I was working with my case manager about my discharge planning. And she said, well now, I really think it'd be good for you to start IOP, intensive outpatient, tonight. And it was on a Friday and, and Andy said to her, well, no, I, I, don't, I, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I want to go to the beach because I love the ocean and I love being in nature. Well, she figured that would be a weekend fraught with many triggers, as we call them. Mm. But she couldn't dissuade him from that urge to go to the beach and to start his IOP on Monday. So he went to the beach. And this is where the story really reaches its, its apex. He said, I had gone to two meetings that Friday night after I was discharged before I left town. And because of that and hanging out with some of my recovering friends, it was not long before dawn when I arrived at the ocean. And I decided to go to drive straight to the beach and watch the sunrise. He said, I was waiting and it was getting brighter and brighter. The pink was turning more to red. And he said, something caused me to glance around at the horizon. And back there behind me to the west, I saw the moon. Hmm. So he said, there I was at the beach looking eastward for the sunrise, which was about to happen, westward to the moon, which was about to set. And he said, suddenly an, a seagull flew past. I didn't think much of that. Seagulls are seagulls. But he said, I followed it a little bit and it turned around and flew back past me again. And he said, I followed a little ways, it turned around and flew back past me a third time. And he said, that seagull kept flying back and forth past me for some moments. And then he said, the sun cracked the surface of the horizon. And I said, remember, I'm not a religious person. <laughs> but he said, I had to wonder, could there be some way I love the way he describes this, because to me, this is spirituality at work at its best. Raising the question, I began to wonder, could it be that in some way that seagull was my mother in some new form? Mm -hmm. Or was a messenger to my mother? 
letting her know that Andy had finally taken the step and was beginning his recovery. He said, now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I wonder if there might be something to that. I'm reminded that I'm telling the story of uh, the, the, the Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who wrote a little book, wrote many books, but he wrote this little book entitled In Search of Wonder. I love that. And, and Andy shared with us the invitation which, which he accepted to enter into an experience of wondering about, wondering if possibly in some way, his journey and nature and his grief touched on an experience that at least he could give his own meaning to. And that's part of spirituality. We are meaning makers, as someone has said. And, the, and he had the option of giving meaning to that, which could help him with his deeper grief than his mother's death, which was her dying before she knew he had begun his journey of recovery. And maybe, just maybe, she was finding that out now. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I'm just really glad that you shared that particular story. Because, um, and I'm not going to analyze it, but what I want to just point to, not that I would ever analyze anything, but what I want to just point to is as we began our conversation and we spoke about relationship, connection, and belonging, and then moved in, in, you know, in the context of embodied spirituality, and then uh, you know, moved into the continuum of addiction, and you share Andy's story, where he's in relationship with his addiction with his, I'm not sure what, with his uh, therapist or the woman that was in charge of him inpatient that was working with him as an inpatient manager. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and, you know, his relationship then with, he, he recognized, I would sense not even just he, he was beyond relationship, but he recognized his connection with and his sense of belonging in nature and made the choice not to go right into the IOP but in fact, to go to the beach, and there at the beach, he's given, you know, you want to say a gift, the gift or the experience of moonset, sunrise, seagull, and then wondering if perhaps, you know, blank, 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 whatever, whatever that in fact means for him. So in there is this, in that story, in my listening to it, and I don't think I'm being overly active with my imagination, there is this, I would say, Andy embodying even though I'm not religious, a sense of spirituality um, and recognizing probably without saying these things to himself, these various relationships, connections and belongings in his life as he's engaging his um, ability to have his addiction and no longer be had by yes. it. Yes. Yeah. And to pick up, I'm sorry, were you finished? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, to pick up another thread from our conversation, what you are remembering from the story, to me, is a beautiful example of intimacy. In this case, intimacy with self. But it occurs to me, even as, even as I'm speaking, that his, and it wasn't so much in a defensive way, it was in a, I want to be sure you know me way, that he kept reassuring this group. I'm not religious. Don't misunderstand me. It's not about God. But the way he kept that going seemed to authenticate uh, his experience as being part of his own reality and giving him the freedom to wonder. Yeah. To not know, but wonder. 
Yeah. So, so with that, I mean, we're coming up near the top of, of our hour here. We're not going to rush to end this. But what I do want to do is, and I think that anecdote, that story, Andy's story, really gave us a taste of, without necessarily naming it, of, of what we um, might mean, what you might mean, what I might mean, what anyone might mean, when we use that, the S word, when we talk about spirituality and what it means. So do you want to give us the correct definition of that now? That's a joke. <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> you know, it, it occurs to me, I don't know if I can, I, I can describe it in different ways, but you know, in some ways, maybe it's like that beautiful sunrise. Define that sunrise. Ooh, <laughs> how do I define that sunrise? Describe that sunrise. Sure. How much time you got? We can talk about that. And maybe there's a sense in which that's more my, anyway, my way of viewing the meaning of spirituality because I'm not sure I have a crisp, clear definition. But having said that, um, I will indulge in some to begin with, at least descriptive notions about spirituality, and maybe it can lead us toward a definition, but we'll see. And just to be clear, I think I, I, I trust that you know I wasn't really expecting a definition, um, but I wanted to just kind of massage a little bit what we've been speaking about to come up with some kind of a, you know, 17 or 18 prospects of what it might be. <laughs> okay. I'm going to cheat right now and turn to some crib sheets because I did write down just some individual words and phrases that occurred to me as free associating with spirituality. Yeah. Maybe about 18 words for all I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> spirituality can foster, again, it doesn't make it automatic. So spirituality is not a visitation that just swoops down on some and not others. But spirituality as a condition can foster life. I've spoken that already. Hmm. Spirituality can foster choice, but specific kinds of choices that are in support of life and well-being. Spirituality breathes. Mm -hmm. I, I love the fact that in the Hebrew language, there's a word which is spoken of as ruach, and it has at least three distinct, different, and yet similar and related interpretations. And the reader or hearer of that word is left to his or her own interest in the context in which it's used. The word ruach can mean breath. Mm. It can also mean wind. Yeah. And it can also mean spirit. Breath, wind, spirit. Well, if you say, well, Jay, which of those applies to spirituality? I would say yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Each of those words belongs within the context of an effort to paint something about the meaning of spirituality. I think spirituality also, uh, and this is really important to me, uh, allows room and tolerance for paradox. Mm. It... Uh, It allows for the both and space in life, not just the either or. So paradox, I think, can become a friend to us, even things that appear to be in 
contradiction. If we drill down deeper, you might realize, oh, there's a connection here. There's that word. Uh, certainly, spirituality fosters creative change and even beyond change, transformation. And those two are not the same. Um, spirituality fosters freedom, I think, true, real freedom and empowerment. And then the, the last hyphenated word I'll use, I've used before in our conversation is self-responsibility, because I think that is so much at the core of this journey we call life. The discernment to know what's my part in this and what can't I do on my own? Now, what could be a better segue into talking about recovery <laughs> in the more familiar way? The recovery prayer, if you will, or I, I like to think of it as the recovery wisdom. So uh, those are some ramblings, at least, about how I try to give meaning to the meaning of spirituality. Oh, great. No, no, that was actually beautiful. And I think, you know, from where, from my seat, even though I get to talk to you almost whenever I want to, and we've done that for some, you know, a decade and a half now, you know, I, I would love to see that list. So I'm going to probably, you know, ask you to just, you know, just send me like a, a scribbled version. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that was, that was actually, that was, I did write, make a note of. Yeah. And I actually, I love, I mean, you know, I'm not going to try to name all those or, re, or restate them, but I love that it includes freedom. I love that it includes paradox, which I believe is an essential, the ability to hold paradox is an essential skill for a more or less healthy adult in the 21st century. Without it, um, it's really hard to grasp um, this you know, experience of, of life as we know it, I think. so, And that that's tied in in, in, in your use of it. Yeah. spirituality and which with and i 100 percent agree with that is is just uh, is beautiful so yeah. I, I really appreciate that and you're reminding me back to the andy story for just a moment after andy shared that with the group and we were all deeply touched by what he shared yeah. um he kept reiterating the fact now understand i don't know if this is true or not mm -hmm. but i wonder about it yeah. that's that's Shouting out the spiritual principle of the embrace of paradox. I don't have to know, but I can wonder about. Yeah. Yeah. If anything belongs in spirituality, that belongs. Yeah, for, for sure. Assuming that you still see Andy, you know, give him a big hug for me next time you bump into him. Um, well, I... I one never knows, but I certainly will. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll even use his real name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I know that. So Just to be sure we're clear, his real name was not Andy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so with that, I mean, you know, we're 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 you know coming up on just about an hour now, and I want to respect your time and the the attention span of those who might tune into our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, Maybe the wonder at those who are still hanging in, if any. <laughs> yeah, that, there it is. Well, they're probably there because they feel connected with and, and they belong in this conversation. So I think that that's probably true as well. And um, is there any, and this, I typically ask this, and, so, and the, the response of no is perfectly okay. So in the, this context of the last hour, and uh, you know, with this, speaking about embodied spirituality, 
what we mean by that, um, the continuum of addiction, what we mean by that. Is there any, any final um, things you want to tie together, any final comments you want to make before you know, we actually bring the conversation to a close? And if not, I mean, I'm not asking you to make some big summary statement of the entire conversation because that would be you know, the request from a fool to a wise man, and I wouldn't do that. Uh, well, whichever way that goes. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I tried to be you know, self-deprecating and be kind to you with that. Um, but is there any, any final uh, thoughts that you'd like to share before we officially bring it to a close? Yes. Yes. Um, I'm, in many ways, I'm a visual person. And I wish I had it on a card. I would just put it up in front of the camera right now, but I can't do that. But there's a diagram that has evolved over the years of my work at Pathways. It's been over about 23 years now. And I refer to it as a Pathways diagram because to my knowledge, it's not out there in a book anywhere. I'll try to describe it as simply as I can. There's a square, four sides, representing the four sides to each of us. We each have a body, a mind, spirit, and emotions. There may be other sides, but there are at least those four. Body, mind, spirit, and emotions. And I write that word, one of those words beside each side of the square. Then in the center of the square, there's a circle with lines, one line drawn out in each direction so that the circle connects with each side of the square. And over the years, we've come to give many names to that circle. Mm. Just a few that come to mind right now are um, inner self, um, heart, not in terms of the physical heart, but to get to the heart of the matter, to get to what this really means. One's heart, one's essence, one's core. That's probably enough. There are other words, but pick any one of those words and write that as your word, identifying that circle in the center of the square, connecting each of the four sides. That is a picture, essentially, of each of us. Now, the effect of addiction can be seen by this drawing. And if I had an eraser now, this was a marker board, I would take the eraser. Oh, and I would say, now, actually, there's some good news as well as bad news about this, if you can imagine. And I would take the eraser and just erase not the total line connecting the circle from each of the sides, but the major portion of the line, the little tick on each end still connecting the side with the, and, and the circle. And I say, I'll say, what did I just do? Well, you're just disconnected. Hmm. Bingo, that's the word. And I'll say, here's where the good news comes in. I did not take the eraser and go like that. I did not erase that circle in the center because that part of you, of me, of each of us is indestructible. We cannot erase it. We can disconnect from it with whatever may be the result of our particular form of addiction. And it may feel like we've destroyed it, but the good news is it is still there. And we talk about that in ways like, that's the part of you, of me, of each of us, that's for us, that's on our side, that wants us to make it, 
that it gets excited when we tap into even any slight measure of our creativity, et cetera, et cetera. That's what that circle is about. It's about life and expansion and creation. It never goes away. So wherever you are on speaking to each of us now on that continuum of addiction and whatever our quote substance is that we abuse, I'm not alone in that struggle because there's a part deep inside of me that wants me to make it, hmm. wants me to live and not die. And all those other things I spoke of earlier that are characteristics of, of addiction. So that's the pathways diagram. Yeah, no, I'm actually, I'm really glad that you, uh, so no, there's two things on the list, the diagram itself, um, which, I, which I could probably recreate because we did a great job. And that's not an easy thing to do to actually show that verbally. And I think it was really clear as you, as you un unfolded it. Um, the one thing I, I wanted to ask though, when you mentioned that these four sides, and there are probably other sides, but these are four. That mm -hmm. are there. And then, you know, the, the center could be the core or the heart, you know, and a nod to our friend, Bill Plotkin, I want to say, I hope, I hope we can get soul in there somewhere too. Well, that's, yeah. I, I was actually drawing a bit of a blank with the list, but soul is one of the words on that list. Yeah, yeah. That, I know, I that's that. right there. How could it, but interesting, I, I do try to hasten and say, and I'm, I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily, if it works for you, that's fine, but I'm not necessarily using soul in a religious way. Right, yeah, yeah. It may be that kind of soulful singing that comes from the performer's inner guts, their inner being, their inner self. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, great. No, that, that the diagram was great. So that was so. I want I, I want the list of connections with spirituality, and I want the diagram. Please have them in my inbox by ten o'clock. Yeah, you know me better than that. <laughs> Actually, when I leave here. I go to Pathways for the day. Yeah. So, so with that, Jay, I think it's time for us to 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 begin to bring this to to a close, or actually to bring it to a close. So, from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I want to thank you for, for spending you know, a, a chunk of your morning with me on behalf of anyone who might actually tune into this. And just to say to, say to anybody who sees this, to say how lucky I am, <laughs> as I said before, because you know, we've had these kinds of conversations um, without a camera um, you know, to look into, but in person uh, over the years on a fairly regular basis. And I, you know, I'm just really, you know, happy about that and and i'm blessed by it and and uh it's good to have you as a friend yeah me too and probably those conversations over the years could be a collage for where this idea of having this conversation right now began somehow the fruit of all those many many conversations yeah yeah, yeah. thank you Reg. yeah I appreciate this chance and opportunity to be with you and we'll see where it all goes okay great so on behalf of teleosis institute um, and again, with a deep bow of gratitude to Jay Stearns, I'm Reggie Mara. Um, this is our monthly uh, Future of Health Coaching Vital Conversation. Um, check our website to see what's in store for October. And with that, we will bring this particular conversation to a close. So thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye.